0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Andrew Harvey. Andrew Harvey is an internationally renowned religious scholar, writer, and teacher, and the author of over 30 books, including the critically acclaimed Way of Passion, A Celebration of Rumi, as well as Journey to Ladakh, The Return of the Mother, Son of Man, and The Direct Path. Creating a Journey to the Divine Using the World's Mystical Traditions. He is also co-author of the best-selling The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. His work has been honored with the Benjamin Franklin Award and the Mind, Body, Spirit Award, both for Mary's Vineyard, Daily Readings, Meditations, and Revelations, with photographs by Eric Hanut. Hanut? Hanut. 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 And the Christmas Humphreys Award for A Journey in Ladakh. And recently, he co-authored Savage Grace, Living Resiliently in the Dark Night of the Globe, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Born in South India in 1952, Harvey studied at Oxford University and became a Fellow of All Souls College in 1973. He is founding director of the Institute for Sacred Activism. So with that, hello, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me.
1: I love the name of your enterprise, Heads. I think that's extremely pertinent, given what our beloved president has just called African country. <laughs>
0: oh wow! I, you know, I didn't even think about that that uh, that connection actually. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's interesting. The name always gets it either gets people who love it, or or I, I've had a few um, particularly swamis that I've interviewed feel a little bit um uh, uh, a little bit affronted by the name. So I appreciate oh, that you oh, like
1: right it. <laughs> I've had people object to me talking about Carly bitch slapping us my god if we're being (laughs) Except we're lucky when we're in the field of Kali, so don't worry about that. Oh, great. This.
0: Well, I would love to talk about Kali bitch slapping today. I think that's, a, in fact, I'm just going to make sure I have that Sorry. written down. Kali bitch slapping. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll put that as the title of the podcast.
1: Um, yes.
0: So before we talk about your work, Andrew, you know, you've had such a, a fascinating life um, in in terms of your own kind of spiritual trajectory and, and the teachers yes. you've um, uh, met with along the way. So I would love to hear a little bit about that story If you would want to share with our listeners, um, you know, from the beginnings of your spiritual, um, uh, the beginning of your spiritual trajectory until now.
1: Well, I'm about 95, so it's going to take a few paragraphs. Oh, you're not
0: 95. Uh, Come on. I was
1: born in India in 1952, and I was born of British parents, but my father had Indian blood. And I think this is tremendously significant, at least it is for me, because I've always felt that India is my home and to be born in India as a child is to be born into a world that is still known and felt and lived as holy, sacred. Yeah. And from a very early age, I learned through my conversations with people around me the essence of the Hindu vision, which is that there is only one divine. And all paths lead to that divine, and all paths are imperfect, man-made expressions of what can never be put into the words, but can be experienced. And that vision has underlaid everything that I've done. At the age of nine, I went to England to be put through the concentration camp of reason. I overachieved massively and became a fellow of All Source College at 21, which is England's highest academic honour. Oscar Wilde said, um, if you want to punish somebody, give them what they want. And although it was an amazing opportunity to meet fabulously gifted people like Isaiah Berlin, like Iris Murdoch, prime ministers and archbishops and heads of state, It was also a terribly disillusioning experience because I realized that the West was utterly incapable of coming into truth as far as the world crisis was concerned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My own personal life was devastated by a series of appallingly fruitless love affairs and at 25 I decided to go back to India back to my childhood. I wasn't looking for a guru. I wasn't wanting to go into an ashram. I was just wanting to bathe in the golden waters of my Indian childhood. But what happened was that I had a series of electrifying and shattering and totally unexpected mystical experiences, which made me aware that for all my knowledge of Latin and Greek and German and French, and for all my reading of Kierkegaard and Plato, I really didn't know a damn thing about reality. And at that moment, I made the dangerous decision, really, to go on a mystical search. I went to Ladakh where I met a very great mystical teacher in Tukse Rinpoche and became an adept and a servant of the Mahayana Buddhist tradition. I went to live in Paris and met Eva de Petre who was the greatest living translator of Rumi, and Rumi began to take over my life. I plunged into all of the mystical traditions, and I had at that time a master, Mother Mira, whom I adored as the Divine Mother, and, I brought together everything that I was learning in these different paths in my adoration of her. And at 36, I had an awakening, an awakening experience of the whole world, the whole cosmos dissolving into light and reappearing, drenched and saturated with that light. And this is the classic enlightenment experience, but it was not by any means the end of my journey because I asked myself, what is this awakening thing? in a time like this. Mm. I had always been very aware that we were living in what well, are potentially the end times. I'd always been very aware that Western society was riddled with consumerism, narcissism, and fantasy and lust for power. I'd always been very aware that the primacy of the mind and especially the scientific fundamentalism that riddles our culture are extremely dangerous. So... Asking that question led me to two tremendous meetings, first with Dalai Lama, whom I already knew, and whom I asked the question on the day that he won the Nobel Prize when I was interviewing him in Oslo. What is the meaning of life? At which moment he roared with laughter <laughs> and said the meaning of life is to embody the transcendent, not just to experience the transcendent, not just to know the The whole universe is created out of light and is formed out of light, but to embody it in a way that is particularly useful and challenging and transformative for one's time. My greatest teacher and the man who has really been the forger of my soul and my heart's beloved and my soul's father was a Christian monk called Father B. Griffiths, whom I met in my early 40s when I was invited to make a film with him and about him. And... He gave me the next part of the puzzle when he said to me one early morning, he said, look, humanity has come to its most dangerous time when it will either have to choose adoration or suicide. Mm. And he said that there were three possibilities that lay before us. First, that we'd wake up to the horrific things we're doing to ourselves, to the animals, to the environment, fall on our knees and ask for grace. And he said, this is highly unlikely. This has never happened before and it won't happen now. The Mm. second thing, is that we will continue in our absolutely deranged pursuit of power over everything and destroy ourselves. And he said, honestly and nakedly, as anyone who looks at humanity has to say at this moment, that this looks, given the facts, pretty damn likely because we know that the environment is in peril. We know that there are billions of people living on less than a dollar a day. We know that we're destroying all the species. And still we continue to go on our jag of addiction, which is quite clearly destroying everything. Mm. But then you said something that has really been the truth of my continuing journey he said i don't believe this because the god that i have met in the core of my heart the god of mercy and infinite love and infinite light is a god that will be with us until the end and will constantly constantly pour grace upon us and give us the energy to transform ourselves if only we turn to that divine by whatever name we know it then i asked myself the question well what is the way through? What is the way through that can truly transform humanity at this extremely dangerous moment? And I've never been in any doubt about the danger of this moment and everything that we're now living confirms what I'd known for 20 years. For 20 years, people thought I was completely crazy. And now that Vision opened my eyes and opened the eyes of many like myself who realized that unless we are transfigured, really, we are not going to survive. And that led me on that question, what is the way through to discovering sacred activism and the power of sacred activism? It didn't come to me as an idea. It came to me as the intensest visionary experience of my life because when my father was dying in 1997, In the very town I was born in, which was Quaimbatore in South India, I went to visit him and be with him. And it was an extraordinary moment of my life because I loved my dad deeply. He was the most beautiful man, tremendously generous and kind and compassionate. And our hearts really merged in that time. And I went to church on the Sunday and I had a direct vision of the Christ. The step at the end of the church came alive, and a love, a flow of infinitely passionate golden light came from his heart to my heart, stabbed my heart open, and released the golden light in my heart towards him, so lover, love, and beloved became one immense fiery bliss, but that wasn't the end of the experience that would have been stunning enough and reward enough for a long period of deep suffering, which I'd gone through at the at the end of my relationship with my guru. But what happened then was that I went out and I saw a beggar with no arms and no legs, a young man, very, very noble looking and very beautiful and totally desolate and lost. And the voice said to me, you've seen me in glory. Now you see me in
0: him. And wow.
1: I looked into his eyes. I saw not only the millions who are going through such horror. I saw the animals being persecuted and stabbed and tortured and thrown out of their habitats. I saw the burning forests. I saw the entire flame of destruction that's licking our earth. And I heard a voice saying, look, you've been playing with light. You've been narcissistically playing with your experiences you've met such fabulous people but you're nowhere near understanding what this experience is for and what this experience is for the voice said very loudly is to rouse the world to two things to the extremity of the danger that our hubris has put us in and to the way out which is nothing less than putting divine love and divine wisdom and the passionate peace and compassion of divine consciousness into wise, focused, clear, radical, systems-changing, structures-altering action. Mm. And at that moment, I realized that I'd been given the path and that the rest of my life would be devoted to making this path as clear, as inspiring, as transformative, as hopeful for others. And that's what i have been up to. And despite my flaws and follies at 65, I feel on the one hand extremely distressed by the state of the world and also absolutely certain that there is a path here that we can take and we must take urgently and that this path can not only help us transform what seems like a terminal situation into the beginning of a wholly new way of being and doing everything, but that this path is the destined path for humanity in its evolutionary spiral towards embodying the divine humbly and consciously on every level, heart, mind, soul, and body, and expressing that radiant embodiment in compassionate action on behalf of the whole of life.
0: Wow, that was that was beautiful um yeah that it's so inspiring to hear you speak so thank you for sharing there's so much there and and i think i'm gonna come back to a few of those of those things throughout our conversation but um since we're sort of there in the story we might as well just i just want to ask this kind of almost basic question but i think uh, which is sort of clarifying in some way which is you know what is the difference or what what why is it important to have sacred activism um as as opposed to, you know, your sort of dime store activism, or the tr- activism traditionally conceived that perhaps does, isn't sort of infused with notions of divinity in this way. Obviously, the, a relationship with the divine is very central for for this project for you. So why is the, it's the old It's not enough? Sorry?
1: Look, it's not central to this project for me. Once you've seen and known the divine, you know that it lives In every human heart. I see. And you know that any other position but taking up your stance in divine consciousness is doomed to be limited, however noble. I see it very clearly like this. And this is what happened to me after I had this experience that I told you about the experience of the Christ. I prayed. I said, please, God, help me understand what this force that I experienced in Coimbatore really is made of. And I had a dream vision which has completely underlaid everything I know about sacred activism. It was a vision of two rivers of fire racing towards the horizon and meeting and exploding in an atomic explosion of all of the different colored lights. So it was a vision of the birth of a new force that can transform everything. And as as this dream vision unfolded, I heard a voice, and it was, I believe, the voice of the Christ, I mean, I say the Christ, that's how I, because of my Christian upbringing, because of my passionate love for Christianity, mm. I love all the mystical traditions, but I love Jesus the best because he's the most hands-on radical teacher we've ever had.
0: Mm.
1: I love him because of that. The voice said, look, when the two noblest passions of the human soul, the fire of the passion of the mystic for God, fuses with the fire of the activist passion for justice, then a third fire is born. And with this third fire, we can transform even the most intractable and terrible situations because it comes straight from the divine and it brings together opposites that have been kept stupidly apart by patriarchy. Mm. Now, When I had that experience, I realized two related things. I realized that mystics as they often are now are simply not able to rise to the horror and challenge of this situation because they go on praying and go on chanting their mantras and And without realizing that the world that is totally sacred is burning and without pledging themselves and committing themselves to sacredly inspired action to do something about it. And God knows the New Age has just manifested this staggering and sterile narcissism on a huge global scale. And the New Age is just corporate-induced and corporate-supported spirituality, which leaves none of the structures and systems which are now killing us, leaves them all intact, then I realized that the activists as we know now, and I actually would prefer an old-fashioned activist to a New Age mystic any time of the day or night, but the fashioned activists which are governed only by rage and sometimes by self-righteousness and yeah. outrage. noble though those things are, they can't rise either to the depth of this crisis, because this crisis isn't just a crisis of systems and structures, that's bad enough, but it's a crisis of consciousness that supports and sustains and infuses and keeps going those systems and structures. So unless that consciousness is radically altered, the oppression and the devastation of those systems and structures will continue. And unless activists go on a spiritual journey, they will not be able to fuel themselves with the stamina and the peace and the discerning wisdom and the tremendous passion energy that an authentic divine experience will give you. Mm-hmm. So I realized both the most sensitive kinds of people the mystics and the activists both could not be at the height of what's demanded of us in this great evolutionary transition we're in Mm. and then i realized thanks to that experience that if you took the very best of the mystic the passion for god and united it with the very noblest of the activist inside you if you did through grace, that merging of those two opposites inside you, a new kind of embodied, radical, inspired, guided by God human being would be born. And with a loving army of those human beings, we could transform the planet and be vessels of miraculous grace. Mm. And what's been astonishing to me is to realize that this vision is already on the earth. It's part of what Gandhi was talking about and enacting it's part of what Lech Valenza was talking about and enacting in Solidarnosc. It's part of what Desmond Tutu and Mandela did in the Reconciliation Commissions. It's part of what the Dalai Lama has been constantly modeling. And there have been, in the 20th century, many activists, and Martin Luther King is obviously another one of them, who have understood that righting wrongs, is not enough. We have to transform the consciousness that has created those wrongs in the first place. Otherwise, they reoccur in in even more violent forms, as we're seeing so clearly in Trumpistan, in this current reign of psychopathology, craziness that is now threatening the very future of the world and decimating and desolating the American democratic experiment. So if this isn't the time when you're gonna wake up, when are you going to wake up, to the absolute necessity of going very deep within to find the one within, to find your divine consciousness, and very far and very bravely out to put that consciousness into action Mm -hmm. together. This crisis that we're in is actually a godsend. Because it's making quite clear that if we don't deal with the enormous shadows of American history and the enormous shadows of the lust for power and exploitation of nature of the West and the creation of a capitalist system which thrives on the desolation of millions of people, if we don't look at those and if we don't transmute the consciousness that has allowed those to continue, and if we don't marry deep spiritual stamina and wisdom and peace and passion and strength with radical action, we are finished. But if we do, then even at this late hour, and it is about three minutes to midnight, Mm. even at this late hour, we can turn things around so that's why i'm still so joyful about the prospects of humanity seeing quite clearly where we are because i know that this truth is on the earth and it's living not just in me it's living in hundreds of thousands of ordinary extraordinary people who are fueling their action in the world by the compassion and the divine passion that they find in their own connection with their deepest selves. This is the way forward. Uh, And it's not my way forward. It's the way forward of Jesus, of the prophet, of the great, great pioneers of sacred activism in the 20th century. And it's time that everyone gets with the program or we're going to be wiped off the face of this earth quite soon, sooner than we dare imagine.
0: uh, uh. So do you see this, you know, you're talking about the internal, you know, movement towards that relationship and then the external movement out into the world. Is this something that is, um, even though we speak of it as as two parts, is happening simultaneously? Or is there a sense that the kind of logic, there's a sequence to it where you have to spend time going inward before you can act in the world? Or, or no,
1: it... I think that's a complete mistake. I really do, because... Right. My experience and the experience of many sacred activists is that when you commit yourself to radical action, when you commit yourself to being an activist, you enter into a great turbulent, knotty, disastrous field of transformation. And if you're not pledging yourself to do practice at the same time, you'll simply get torn apart. This is a time in which all of the weapons are in the hands of the dark. All of the weapons, actual physical weapons and the weapons of power are in the hands of the dark forces. So if you just turn up as an activist and think that your right cause will guarantee the success of your cause, you are like a child running into a forest fire dressed in a paper tutu. It's not to work. So just... Get over that. But if you're also one of those people who think, oh, well, I have to wait to be enlightened before yeah. I do anything, you're just signing off, actually, from yeah. any of the real challenges of our time. The truth is that there is nothing more transformative for the real seeker than really turning up and acting, because if you're doing that, you're going to have to face your shadow, you're going to have to face the shadow of the people around you, and you're going to have to plunge very deeply into sacred practice to find the hope, to find the joy, to find the peace, to find the passion, to find the way of sustaining your energy through defeat after defeat, derision after derision, and the very great forces that will be sent against you and sent against your enterprise.
0: Wow. So I want to go back to something that you had mentioned uh, a moment ago. You, Sorry, go ahead. You're
1: interviewing me. Let me interview you. Does this ring true for you, or am I just speaking to a very nice person in Brooklyn? Does this really, does this grab you? Does this excite you?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that you have a, a credi- incredibly sort of empowering and 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 a, an inspiring way of you know articulating these ideas. And and yeah, I mean, I think that the 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 kind of movement or the, the, the general logic in a lot of these, you know, Eastern, you know, thinking communities is to, to highlight the practice. And I think that what you you pointed out in terms of um, uh, the kind of narcissistic accumulating of spiritual experiences is exactly what you see most of the time. It's people just looking for deeper and deeper experiences. And it's, and, and if they do have a kind of, activist temperament it's more it's more kind of as an ideal you know or it's or it's expressed on facebook you know they write about it but they don't actually go out into the world and do and do things because they're they're spending too much time you know in their med on their meditative cushion which is a great place to be but you know as you're saying it has to be coupled with the cushion
1: once you've been on it and put them be on your cushion while you're acting you know the the gita says it's best it says the in the sage There is inaction in action and action in inaction Mm -hmm. and that means that if you truly are a meditator and i meditate constantly and i say the name of god constantly in my heart i don't leave my cushion i'm not leaving it now speaking to you but i want to be someone who is love acting wisdom acting that is true liberation That is true enlightenment. If you're just meditating and spacing out into the transcendent, you're not yet even remotely enlightened because you're not embodied. And if you're only embodied without connection to the transcendent, you're stuck still in the human jail. You don't know the divine that suffuses you. So let's get absolutely real and realize that the greatest mystics and the greatest prophets have always told us realize God, and then put God into radiant, compassionate, courageous action in the very core of your life. That's the truth. Both mm-hmm. wings help the bird fly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there it was, I, I was listening to a talk recently, and someone, I really liked this quote, where God isn't something that you seek, you have to let God out, which seems to be aligned yes. with what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: God is creative. Mm-hmm. If you You know, the great mistake of the East has been, and this is not true of the real texts of the East and some very extraordinary beings who've come from the East, but it's been the general tenor of what Eastern religions have done. The great mistake of the East is to identify only with the transcendent. But the transcendent has taken form. Everything that is alive is God energy Mm -hmm. incarnate. So... Why would the transcendent have taken form if not to create in and through forms ever more amazing formulations of its own love and truth? And we, human beings, are the chosen agents of that transformation. And how can that transformation take place if we don't turn up in the relationship? Mm -hmm. So that's what's crucial. So what's needed is, a, is, again, you know if you're going to fuse the best of the mystic with the best of the activist, what's needed on a global scale is the fusion that took place with an extraordinary passion and truth in Aurobindo between the greatness of Eastern philosophy. And its greatness can never be doubted because what the East has kept alive is the divine I am consciousness, yeah. which is key to human evolution, and the greatness of the West, which has been its dynamic sense of evolution in history. If we can mm. bring those two together, because they're both different sides of the revelation of the divine, if we can bring together the I am consciousness with the democratic experiment, then we can have on the earth embodied divine human beings working with divine consciousness to live in harmony with nature and heal the terrible divisions of every kind that are now threatening our existence mm.
0: so I hear you saying you see arobindo is sort of in this lineage of of um, sacred activists
1: who who else oh, yes.
0: Who else um, do you find? I mean, I know you mentioned, obviously, Martin Luther King, but are there any other figures we haven't mentioned that you would sort of put in this this family of sacred activists?
1: Well, I think Jesus is a supreme sacred activist. I right. mean, okay. nobody was more transcendent than Jesus, and nobody was more hands-on, and nobody told truth to power with more electric adequacy, and nobody was prepared to pay the extreme price so willingly and so heartbreakingly as Jesus. The prophet peace be upon him, is also a supreme activist. Here is somebody who received a shattering revelation, which crushed him again and again. He wanted to hide under the bed when he first heard the angel Gabriel recite the opening lines of the Quran, but then poured himself out in a life of radical action that enabled that revelation to bring together a whole world. So those two, for God's sake, are supreme sacred activists. And if we model ourselves on them and learn how to suffuse our whole action with sacred consciousness, as Jesus did, and learn to follow the extraordinary wisdom and restraint of the prophet as we act, you know, many people say about the prophet, oh, he was he was a killer, he he, he had wars. That's true, he was a warrior. But the truth about the prophet was that he brought together all of the different realms of human life the realm of kingship the realm of being a prophet the realm of mystic the realm of warrior and lived them from a sacred consciousness and we can learn i myself have been tremendously inspired by all that we know of him Mm. and would never judge what he had to do because it was something he was sent to do in the terms of a very dark and very turbulent society it has had problems since, of course, as we know, but his example is something that we can learn from. All of the great transformatory beings of humanity have been sacred activists. The Buddha, too, was a sacred activist because if you study the Buddha's life, you realize that when he became enlightened, he saw the way to dissolution in the truth, and he also saw that everybody was open to it. So the Buddha dispensed with caste. He said, no more caste. This is bullshit. Everybody is capable of achieving their path. Eventually, he brought women in in a way that Hinduism had never done. So he was a revolutionary in the terms of his own world. He also forbade animal sacrifice, which the Vedas were still keeping going in Hinduism. So on those three ways, he was saying, your way of Worshiping is saturated with illusion. It's open to everyone, it's open to women, it's open to all of us, and we cannot go on slaughtering animals in the name of the divine. These were radical moves. So there hasn't been any transformative being who hasn't been a sacred activist. But now, what we're being challenged to realize is the meaning and truth of sacred activism in the terms of our time and in the terms of the psychological and spiritual crisis that underlies the keeping going of these clearly lethal structures and and systems that are now threatening us with extinction.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I I really appreciate your um, your teachings around Jesus because you know, as myself, I was raised in a in a very in a Christian household and and lost my faith in that in a certain representation of of God and of of Jesus Christ because it was so limiting and so narrow and you know. And it was coupled with all of these super judgmental things that caused me to, to feel yeah, judgmental something. about myself as well. So I appreciate that you um, that you remind us that, you know, of the kind of essential teachings of Jesus, because as you mentioned in one of your books, you know, Jesus is often uh, what the teaching of Jesus is that you have to believe in him. Like that's the thrust of it. And it sort of oh, ends God. there. <laughs>
1: It's all rubbish. That is a complete mistake. And Jesus' own teachings say so. I mean, Jesus says in John, you know, you two will, You will do greater things than I. I once mentioned that to a fundamentalist, and he had the honesty to say, I wish Jesus hadn't said that. But actually, <laughs> Jesus said that because his whole <laughs> message was, I'm modeling a relationship that is for you. I'm not the only son of God. I am the one who's been sent to show you who you are and what you can do and who you can become. And if you read the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel that was discovered, you know, in 1945 in a cave in Nakamada, you'll see that throughout that Gospel, Jesus is saying, wake up, claim your divinity, and start transforming your world. He's Mm. saying... We are all sons and daughters of God. And it's because of their complete ignorance of the mystical truth of this and because of their addiction to power that the Christian churches have failed so horribly to represent the truly wildest, holiest, most amazing, most loving, most vulnerable, most hands-on of all of our teachers. Mm. Whatever religion you are in, you can learn so much from. And when you meet the real Jesus, and there have been many people on this earth who have met the real Jesus, when you have the astounding privilege of seeing him with your naked heart's eyes and meeting him in the passion of the heart, you won't meet somebody who's going to say, believe in me. You'll meet somebody who is going to look into your eyes and bring out of you the Jesus in you, need someone who will inflame you with the same passion that inflamed him for transformation and justice and compassion on every level. Jesus is a trainer of rebels.
0: That's beautiful. Jesus is a trainer of rebels. I love that. Um, I feel like that should be a title of uh, your next book, Trainer of Rebels. So, um, so let's talk about, (laughs) let's talk about Kali butch bitch slapping because we only have fifteen minutes left of our time and I and I want to make sure we get to this topic.
1: But well, this is the core message of our time, isn't
0: it? Yes. So what is what do you mean by that? You know, this is of course you know um, referencing your new book um, that you co-authored, um, Savage Grace: Living Resiliently in the Night, Dark Night of the Globe. Um, so what is Savage Grace and what is uh, what is essentially the message of this book? Look.
1: For everybody who's listening and inspired by what I'm saying, please, please read Savage Grace. Carolyn Baker, one of our great, great writers and one of the great champions of the shadow and of the crisis, somebody who really knows where we are, and I wrote a book which we boiled down to 109 pages so that you could have the distillation of our wild wisdom. As far as we have wild wisdom, it's in that book, and we boiled it down to give a map. The main point of the book is this. We are living, as the Hindus say in Kali Yuga, in the age of the ferocious, dark, feminine power of the Godhead, which is manifesting with extreme strength to dance out her dance of destruction and creation. There are four stages of Kali's dance. The first is ominous, we've already passed that. We know we've had all the rumblings about the environment. We didn't listen. The second is deeply dangerous, and we've passed that because we've still not listened. The third is almost lethal, and that's the one we're in, in which we see a government, at the time when we know that the environment is in free fall, stripping environmental regulations, creating divisions of racism, honoring and privileging the already outrageously rich in a way that can only lead to rapid terminal disaster. So in this third stage, which is the stage we're in, if we don't get with the program, if we don't humble up, connect with our sacred source, and really, really start acting for justice and compassion and truth and harmony and balance on every level and in every realm of our world, together and fast. We are going to be poured into, be dragged into, screaming and howling the fourth stage, which will be the terminal stage in which humanity will be wiped off the face of this earth. And there are many scientists who believe this stage is already here. I mean, there are many honourable, decent, wise scientists who believe we've already passed far beyond the threshold of environmental decay. In our book, what Carolyn and I try to do is to show the way that we can continue to thrive and be whole in stage three, and if it comes about stage four, The book is written in the hope that enough people will be galvanized by its message and essentially the message of reconnection with the self and with earth and with others, cultivating of resilience through deep spiritual practice, and cultivating of resistance inwardly and outwardly to the colonizing and debilitating forces that are threatening to annihilate the human in us so that we can be possessed by the dark forces that have taken over a large part of our culture, and then regeneration so we go through all of those but we also face squarely the fact that we might go into stage four that it's entirely possible that human beings will not transform themselves fast enough but even there and even in that state if we are living in total surrender to god and if we are finding through that surrender true inner joy, and if we're still serving, even in a hopeless situation, we'll be able to live in peace and bliss, even in a burning world, and that is Carly's savage grace. Mm-hmm. Carly savage grace to us in this situation is that we can't avoid, if we're at all authentic, being bitch-slapped again and again, mm-hmm. over- the power of the shadow, and that will bitch-slap us into doing serious inner work and becoming sacred activists. And even if we don't do that and we can't save the planet, those of us who do do that and do allow her to bitch-slap us into truth, bitch-slap us into authenticity, bitch-slap us into radical commitment to loving and guided sacred service those of us who do that will live in her bliss and her peace. So there's a way in which this situation can be our greatest opportunity for transformation, and even if we don't take it, those of us who do take it will be able to hold the diamond of divine awareness and divine love right to the potentially bitter end. So this is a very, this book's not for sissies, but then they're not you know, I am sick of the new age, and it's endless pampering of the ego, it's a pointless and disgust and by now disgusting and blasphemous activity, we've got to talk to each other as adults facing a very extreme situation. But as spiritual and mystical adults, Carolyn and I know that the divine consciousness is real, and that life lived in that consciousness and to serve that conscious and reality is a life filled with radical joy. And it's to that joy, and to that service, come what may. That we're calling people, and it's to gambling your life away for God that we are really writing this book. I've heard just yesterday that Joanna Macy, who is, to my mind, the greatest of the teachers who've led us into this path, has really given this book to all of her people and said you've got to read this this is the map i'm so proud that she's done that because the book is dedicated to her and joanna's one tough lady she's not going to embrace anything that isn't both very stark and very hopeful mm. the message from the divine to us at this moment is transform or die out
0: yeah yeah that's the message so
1: that- skipping us
0: yeah so is with the rise of trumpistan as you (laughs) called it before um you know i guess i'm interested to know if you you see there being any kind of unique challenges to this situation or has just the have the have the old challenges just got more intense i mean
1: oh no there's a wholly new level of darkness and evil entering in right now with him he is Mm -hmm. a monster and He is a chaotic, savage, and very brilliant monster. Don't underestimate the wild, unholy intelligence behind this man, one should respect that, because if you just dismiss him, you're going to be skewered by him. It's a very dangerous situation, which has to be seen in its full clarity, because what he's trying to do is to establish the rule of the extremely wealthy, which will mean the end of the planet coupled as it has to be with the cutting down of all environmental regulations. And what is clearly happening to anyone whose eyes are open or even half open is that he's also in, following Hitler and Stalin's and Mao's playbook, disintegrating consciously all the supports for democratic protest in our world. He's condemning the courts, he's condemning the FBI, he's behaving in an insane but very calculated way to totally totally discredit congress and the senate and all the powers that could check unfettered authoritarian rule so we're facing the potential birth of an american fascism which i have to tell you will be much 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 worse than hitler's fascism or stalin's fascism for the very simple reason that it will have nuclear weapons at its bestowal will have biological weapons and vast economic power so get real and mm. see that we're in great danger but don't be afraid this is where you'll have to go deep into yourself to find the truth inside you which will make you fearless don't be afraid because when things are this dreadful they also contain the secret seeds of something amazing. So face the dreadfulness, gird your mystical loins (laughs) with the practice and start coming together to do something and use the dark forces sent against you as a jiu-jitsu master would use them to become more splendidly, passionately, compassionately, peacefully yourself and go forward, knowing that the real meaning of a crisis so devastating is to finally stop you being complacent and stop you imagining that something so dreadful can't happen in this glorious country, America. Well, America is the inheritor of three major genocides, the genocide of the Negroes, the genocide of the American Indians, the genocide of the animals. And if you haven't woken up to the fact that at the heart of this empire, there is a dark force that is capable of destroying democracy and annihilating justice, you are simply in a dream. Mm -hmm. So get out of the dream, face things squarely, get down, get real, and get going.
0: Hmm. Do you think that there's last, this will be our, I think, our last question, do you think that there's a role for the guru or teachers in this kind of a situation? Because, you know, as in your story goes.
1: Gurus with teachers. What's that? The guru system had a great success Mm -hmm. and was very important for the preservation of divine consciousness. But the guru system is a patriarchal system, essentially. Right. And like all the patriarchal systems, its shadows, which are monstrous and terrible, have been ruthlessly exposed in this last 30 years. We've had endless scandals. The Tibetan masters keep falling. The Hindu masters keep falling because the guru system depends upon real ignorance of the shadow. Mm. The guru never confesses to having a shadow, which is such madness. Every human being, however illumined, has a shadow. And the only way you can become an authentic teacher is by having at once a very profound transcendent connection, which you are absolutely shamelessly open about, but also a very, very deep vulnerability and honesty about your own shadow. And I've been fortunate enough to meet both gurus who have fallen because of their lack of understanding of their shadow, and great, great teachers who have been absolutely upfront about their shadow to help everyone else transmute their own shadow. So I'm absolutely passionate about the need for teachers, right. but the real teachers are friends. They're not authoritarian figures. Mm. The great teachers suggest and they model. They don't impose, because imposition cannot happen in friendship. Friendship is a communion of souls. Mm. My greatest teacher was Bede Griffiths. And my God, nobody was on a more elevated level than himself. He was going through the transfiguration process, the highest process you can go through on the earth. But his own humility, his own tenderness, his compassion, his understanding of his continuing frailties, that completely blew my mind. And it's that marriage of radical knowledge of the transcendent with unsparing knowledge of your shadow that makes you a teacher for our time. So go to teachers like that and run a million miles from anybody who claims not to have a shadow because they're so damned enlightened.
0: Yes. The tr- Truth, wow, that I mean, I'm, that's so refreshing. I don't think I've heard someone put it quite that way, like diagnosing the uh, the issue with guru models as being related to this absence of the shadow. That's so illuminating that you put it's it that kidding.
1: way. Because you can't you can't enslave people, which is what the majority of gurus do, claiming that they're going to release the inner guru in the person, but actually siphoning up their psychic power like vampires and their money and all the rest of it. You can't do that without claiming to be free of everything. And yeah. that is, that's a ridiculous fantasy. Yeah. The greatest ones, if you, you'd never hear Jesus say that. Jesus, in fact, says, you know, I'm not enlightened. Don't call me God. I've got a thousand shadows. And the prophet said at the end of his life, I ask for forgiveness 77 times a day when they were trying to make him into a guru. So the real authentic ones have never, taken that position because they know it is a lie of power
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you see you have by denying the shadow and that keeps people enslaved to a fiction of total liberation from the shadow which cannot happen as long as you are on the earth and in the body and still however divinized human and thank god actually because the reality of the great teacher is that they can reach us both by the splendor of his or her sacred knowledge, but also by the humanity of their vulnerability, of their knowledge of why we struggle so much and why it hurts so much to change and why we are constantly baffled by our own secret doubt forces. And that's the kind of person you need on the path. You need a person who's going to hold you to the absolute truth sympathize with your struggles, but also model by their own nakedness how to work with those struggles and transform them.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. This has been such a an fascinating and inspiring conversation. You're definitely a force, and I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity to chat with you today. Um, I
1: feel fortunate to have met you, because yeah. how old are you? I'm 34. You are the generation that is bound to need to become sacred activists. You're the generation with whom the future of the world has been placed. Mm. So thank you for being receptive to this. Absolutely. Because if your generation doesn't grasp this and do this work, you're going to go into the greatest hurricane of history without any protection. And that's what somebody like me, you know, in my middle 60s is so concerned about. That's what keeps me alive and wild and fiery is the hope that people like you with your sincerity and authenticity can hear how important this is and do it in your own unique way Mm. Uh, go forward now don't hesitate this is the time we're here the birth is taking place be a midwife
0: Thank you, Andrew. Yes, I hope we can get our act together, and um, and I know that many, many people listening to this podcast are going to be very, very um, excited by this this talk, and and hopefully inspired to take action themselves. So thank you again.
1: Take action together, not yes. just separately. It's not separate. We are not nobody's called upon to be Clint Eastwood going into <laughs> this. this is a time where we have to come together. Right. And we have amazing resources still in Facebook and all the rest of it. We can come together, but we can't come together if we don't see how dangerous the situation is, and if we don't really grasp the potential of fusing heart and mind sacredness and action together if we do we can do miracles
0: yeah do you have any um uh things you want to share in terms of your own work i know we can be, i can direct people to your website com or net dot .net.
1: net um andrewharvey.net what i'd love to say is please read savage grace because yes. if i died today i'd be happy I feel my work in a certain way was completed by Savage Grace. So if you've been following my work or love my work, that's the book that you need to get down because I think it really does give a sober but exalted map for all of us, including myself. I mean, I read it and think, oh, my God, did did we really write this book because it's much wiser than I am. I really felt that it was a transmission from her. And at the end of the book, I had a massive... Uh, Kundalini awakening which seemed like a reward for having gone through the rigors of the book and I don't, I'm not saying that to boast I'm just saying that it shocked me yeah. that in fact the book had aroused that degree of love in the mother that she would give me that awareness and this is something that's expanding yeah. The, I'd love to say that please follow my work and please come and see me because you know you Part of the danger of our technology is, is that you can think that you've really met someone when you've seen them on screen. And there's a lot that can be communicated through screen. But if you're around wherever I am, come in and let's make friends in the heart. Let's really meet each other and communicate body to body, heart to heart, mind to mind, soul to soul. There's no substitute for that. If I hadn't, I would have loved Bead Griffiths and I'm not anywhere near the stature of B. Griffiths. B. Griffiths is a major prophet and saint, and I'm just a, a wild one on the fringes. But if you come and spend time with me, then I think something, I hope that I'll be able to um, infect you radiantly with the passion that drives me, because and arouse from you your own innate passion. That's why I'm hanging around and trying to keep this, decaying body together as healthily as I can so that I can cause as much radioactive mischief dragged off stage. And I'd love to do some with you, so do come.
0: All right, absolutely. All right, thanks again, Andrew. It's been such a pleasure. And with
1: you.